Over nearly 40 years, President Robert Mugabe has turned Zimbabwe from Africa's breadbasket to Africa's basket case. But with his four-decade rule potentially coming to an end by force, where is this southern African nation now headed? I'm Alicia Sekum and we find out this week on Africa Inc. Over his nearly 40-year tenure, President Mugabe's tight grip and disastrous policies have thrown the country into economic despair. Policies around land expropriation in particular led to a collapse in agriculture, contributing to the economy more than halving over the past decade. Hyperinflation peaked at about 500 billion percent at the end of 2008, leading to the nation abandoning its own currency in favor of a basket of foreign exchange. And still, money shortages and an over 90 percent unemployment rate has seen to the exodus of about 3 million people while external debt has hit about 80% of GDP. Now, with the military having seized power this past week to end Mugabe's rule and put the economy back on track, the prospect of a post-Mugabe era has triggered some euphoria. But is what follows necessarily better, especially with President Robert Mugabe and the military leaders having made decisions together for the last 37 years? Joining us for the discussion, Diana Games, Executive Director at consultancy firm Africa at Work, Stephen Grudz, who's Head of Governance and Foreign Policy at the South African Institute of International Affairs, and Stuart Doran, who's independent historian and author of Kingdom, Power and Glory, a book on Zimbabwe's formative years post-independence. But before we get into that, investment firms say uh, their phones have been ringing with client queries on the chances of any real turnaround in Zimbabwe actually emerging. Let's take a look at this report. The headlines give hope. The man many see as a tyrant, ousted. After a bloodless coup, a new dawn may beckon. We are in need of transitional arrangement that should attend to key issues of economic recovery and electoral reform processes. The talk is brave given the challenges. With a new leadership may come new deals with foreign investors and creditors. Though for now dire poverty is the local reality and hyperinflation that's driven many into Bitcoin and other assets. And as for its currency, there's the Zola, an electronic dollar used in bank accounts amid a scarcity of the real thing, which became legal tender in 2009. That has not really solved many of the issues that the Zimbabwean economy still faces. Um, top of that list, of course, is corruption. Stocks, though, are booming. Zimbabwe's industrial index up by 264% this year. MSCI's country index 420%. But don't, warn analysts, be deceived. Shares are rocketing as, again, local investors look for an alternative to uncertainty. It's very difficult to see that a military coup is really going to change the economy in any meaningful way. And how do you get what was once the breadbasket of Africa functioning again? That question hard to answer as the politics of a nation hang in the balance too. If things go terribly wrong, it could lead to a suspension of civil liberties. It could lead to a suspension of the constitution. We hope not. 
But this video shows the house of Zimbabwe's former information minister, Jonathan Moyo. Glass shattered, walls punctured by bullets in an army raid. Zimbabwe's coup, bloodless for now. Well, straight after the break, our panel helps us unpack what a new Zimbabwe could look like post-dictatorship. So stay with us. So Zimbabwe's army swooped in on Harare this week following Mugabe's sacking of Vice President Emerson Mnangagwa. It was uh, the prospect of Mugabe's wife Grace continuing his legacy that was a major driving force behind the action. But uncertainty now persists on the way forward amidst quiet talks still underway in an attempt to resolve the country's political turmoil and the likely end of Mugabe's decades-long rule. To take a closer look at the possible scenarios we're faced with, Diana Games, Executive Director of Africa at work, Stephen Grutz, who's uh, head of governance at SAIA, and Stuart Doran, who's independent historian. All of them joining me in studio right now. Thank you all for joining me uh, this evening. And Diana, let's perhaps start off with you, because close to four days later, is there any more clarity on what's actually unfolding on that end? There have been a, a whole lot of conflicting reports fueling a whole lot of speculation. I mean, just last night, elation on the word that uh, President Mugabe has handed over power and signed over power. But then reports this morning emerge that uh, he's refused to sign after meeting generals who have, of course, seized control of the country. I think if there'd been a, a signing of something and, and all the details had been ironed out, that would have been made known. I mean, that's, that's the final objective of the, of the, the military people. Uh, I think the very pally photographs coming out of the meetings last night, I, I'm not sure that was a really positive signal, but it might be uh, nothing. Um, and I think the fact that uh, the president was at uh, the university today at a graduation ceremony is also worrying. Uh, worrying. It just means that, you know, are they caving in? Is, the, is that a sign of weakness or, or is it a way of keeping SADC and the AU at bay, saying this is all very friendly, so no need to rush in? We're handling this. Uh, we've got this. And uh, so it's very difficult to tell at this stage. I think the, the chances of Mugabe staying, I think that was the original thinking that maybe that everyone had is that perhaps he'd stay as a symbolic, some kind of symbolic president. I think more as time goes on, people are thinking that, you know, that's not a good idea. You, you mm. just, uh, you know, that is a security risk to the to the current uh, uh, security risk. Because, Stephen, a lot of effort has actually gone into not labeling this a coup, even though what we are hearing indicates that uh, that's exactly what's at play here. Is that all part of the strategic takeover or transition uh, plan here? Because, uh, you know, you'd want to sidestep any um, additional implications like imposed sanctions, etc., where SADC has denounced uh, the unconstitutional takeover of government and the AU said that it would not support uh, a coup government either. Well that's exactly it because both of those institutions, SADC and the African Union, have strictures against unconstitutional changes of government. So 
uh, we had the bizarre press conference uh, by the general, uh, you know, not using the word coup, but he was in his military fatigues and uh, they took over the broadcasting um, headquarters and Mugabe was un under house arrest. But I would say the first rule of house arrest is you keep the guy in the house. <laughs> Today he was at a graduation ceremony. So uh, they're being very careful to not make this look like a coup, but it, it looks uh, on any objective uh, uh, evaluation of what a coup is, although he still remains the head of state. He's still, uh, uh, if he's not in, in power, he's certainly in office at the moment. And the end game is, is proving difficult. And I think uh, uh, while Diana, I, you know, I agree that um, he's not finished yet and it looks like it's game over for him, but you know, look what happened in 2008 where he seemed to really have lost that election and we had weeks of behind the scenes and, and uh, then the unity government came through. So I wouldn't count him out just yet, but I think he's far weaker now than he was 10 yeah. years ago. Uh, having said that, Stuart, I mean, we do have a wily statesman in uh, President Robert Mugabe. So how do you see this negotiation playing out? And what's your assessment of what's unfolded thus far? Because, you know, he's going to want something, if not a lot, for his seat. Yeah, I, I suspect that the major issue here is that uh, um, Robert Mugabe, uh, you know, has, uh, thinks he's God. He's been told he's God for the last 40 years. He's an arrogant man. He's a proud man. He's been an incredi incredibly successful man. And um, he's going to be reluctant to, to go in a situation uh, that's so humiliating for him. Um, so I would say that he's uh, playing the last uh, couple of cards um, that are up his sleeve. Uh, but I would be incredibly surprised if he's going to squirrel out of this one. I think uh, the, the cat is uh, on its ninth li uh, life here. Mm. Um, and I think that's because uh, um, the military uh, are, are so deep in this now, the Joint Operations Command of the Zimbabwe military, they've gone beyond the point of no return and I cannot see them backing out of this at any, at any point. And he's clearly underestimated or overestimated, I should say, the loyalty of the military towards uh, him. Stephen, how much power does the military actually have uh, in its hands to negotiate on what could potentially be uh, pretty strenuous terms where presumably Mugabe is going to want to negotiate things like immunity from being persecuted by international courts as well? Well, I think the military is clearly in control and they uh, hold the guns and drive the tanks. Um, and, and they, you know, it's a very militarized state. What's been interesting is how quickly, uh, when Menangagwa was ousted, you know, within a week, uh, this force that had kept Mugabe in power, certainly for the last 10 years and, and arguably for, for much of the last 40 years or 37 years, uh, have seemingly turned against him. But I think it's important to say that they've treated him with a lot of respect. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, he is still alive and well. And as I said, he went out this morning. Um, and and uh, so I think it's, a, it's, it's rather strange. You know, we've seen many coups on this continent before uh, when, uh, you know, you, you could end up like uh, uh, Colonel Gaddafi in a ditch. Um, and, and they're not doing that. So there's, I think this, he's still held in deference. But, yeah. but uh, the military is, is, is calling the shots. Where are your expectations sitting as far as the relationship or uh, military getting cooperation from SADC and the AU are concerned? How do you rate that? Because, you know, the Zimbabwe National Army has uh, holds a whole lot of uh, respect. It has a strong reputation. Uh, it reports to calls 
to duty across Africa. So do you see that something that a SADC, for example, that will have to take into consideration in negotiating um, a smooth landing for Robert Mugabe? I think this SADC definitely needs to take into account who they're dealing with. You know, this is not the MDC, not to d denigrate them in any way, but this is, this is a force that is a force to be reckoned with uh, potentially in the region as well. And, uh, you know, SADC, it's the poor history, and we talked about 2008. I mean, essentially, you know, they were the ones who, who helped to get um, President Mugabe back into power at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I just don't know where, the, where their stomach is really for the, for the fight. So that could be a good thing uh, for the military, but it, it also could be that, uh, you know, they, they, for suddenly they'll find their voice, you know, which would, uh, Zimbabweans are really already on, on, on uh, social media begging SADC to stay out of it. You know, SADC has very conveniently said mm -hmm. over the years, this is a Zimbabwe problem, we can't interfere, we must let mm -hmm. Zimbabweans sort this out. And then the first thing they do when Zimbabweans do that is to have a, an emergency meeting to see how they can interfere, you know. Yeah. So um, I think it's difficult to say. I think the, the army is a formidable opponent for, for any of these organizations wishing to destabilize what they've got planned. Okay, so Stuart, we've set the, uh, the groundwork here. Who steps into President Robert uh, Mugabe's shoes? I mean, the prominent p uh, proposition is that we've got Emerson Nangagwa, uh, former vice president, uh, potentially lined up for interim president. What character are we looking at in him, though? Because, of course, he stood by President Robert Mugabe for the past four decades. He's uh, been a part of the uh, Matabele land massacres back in the 1980s. Mm. He's called the crocodile as well. So mm. who exactly are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, Emerson Nangagwe is not well known in South Africa, not particularly well known in Africa, but he's very well known in, in Zimbabwe. He's been at Robert Mugabe's side since 1976. Um, he's cut his teeth as uh, the head of ZANU's uh, security department in, in Mozambique when the party was based there um, in the 1970s. His reputation um, as a cruel and ruthless man in fact started within ZANU, not within the opposition because that department was responsible for many murders and disappearances in the 70s. And then uh, in the 80s he was uh, given um, the state security portfolio and and and, and picked up uh, picked up where he left off. So, I mean, you mentioned the Gukarahundi. Um, uh, he was heavily involved in that. I mm -hmm. mean, his 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 role in the security state in Zimbabwe in the in the 1980s is much much wider than that uh, than his position as a cabinet minister. I mean, he was Mugabe's uh, closest uh, strategic political advisor. Yeah, and he was also. Um, uh, he was also fundamental to the establishment of a, a, a kleptocratic uh, a state in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, bottom line, Stephen, does he have any real interest in introducing democracy into Zimbabwe? Well, you know, this looked like a very much an, a palace coup, uh, a, a fight, a putsch within, within the party. So I find it quite interesting that there was talk about having an inclusive settlement, maybe bringing in Tsangarai, maybe bringing yeah. in Tendai Beatty figures that were in the government of national unity but are on the opposition benches uh, at the moment. So I, I, I f that would be interesting for, and, and I think would bring in the international community and support for Zimbabwe for sure. But uh, it's just too murky to, to predict uh, at the moment. Okay, let's hit pause on the conversation for now. We're taking a bit of a breather, but we continue uh, this conversation straight after the break. So stay where you are. We're back right after this.
Welcome back and still with me at the desk is uh, Stephen Grust, who's Head of Governance at the SA Institute of International Affairs, Diana Gaines, Executive Director of Africa at Work, and Stuart Doran, who's independent historian and author of Kingdom, Power and Glory. Okay, so let's pick up on the conversation because we were talking about Nangagwa as a personality and, uh, you know, where... Um, where he sits as far as uh, taking a democracy forward is concerned. But what are, who are some of the prominent figures uh, who could play a role in a transitional government, who should be playing a role in any transitional government right now, Diana? Well, you know, the, uh, at the moment, you know, we, we've heard Morgan Changarai give a press conference. There's, there's other names being bandied around of, um, uh, uh, you know, of other people who've been in, in ZANU-PF, high-ranking people in ZANU-PF who are no longer around, like Joyce Majuru. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and then there's other people in ZANU-PF. I mean, we are looking at a factional battle here between the two, uh, the, the two factions in ZANU-PF, and there are other people in the, um, in, in the Lacoste faction, which Munangagwa is technically head of, um, who could play a role, who are actually not bad ministers. And I think if you look at even the, the former finance minister, Patrick Chinamasa, mm -hmm. for example, um, and there are others, uh, who haven't risen to prominence under Mugabe because of various for various reasons. So there are people to call on. You know, I don't think it's uh, you know it doesn't have to be a um, a completely new playing field. It would be good to have some fresh blood in there, but I think that's maybe too soon to to speak about. And then of course we have the existing uh, vice president, second vice president. Um, uh, um, Poco, who's no one's actually even asked about him or heard from him. None since of the began, headlines so centering around him. Know, so he must feel like very wanted in the current <laughs> scenario. But um, so you know, he, the, the, you know, I don't think he has not always been not been an impressive vice president. But he, um, you know, there are uh, there are quite a lot of people they can call on to form a, a cabinet and hopefully look for some techni technical skills as well yeah. in that mix. Uh, Stuart, what role do you see opposition parties playing uh, here? I mean, well, uh, we've had uh, Diana mention Morgan Swan uh, you know, what role does he play in actually influencing the political future of Zimbabwe as you see it? I don't think Morgan Tsvangarai at the moment has uh, much influence at all. However, I do think Emerson Nangagwa will reach out to him because uh, um, Nangagwa has very little uh, grassroots legitimacy uh, and he has no uh, international credibility or legitimacy. So I think it's in... Uh, his interest to, to bring on opposition figures, I expect him to reach out to, to, uh, to Morgan. I think he'll also reach out uh, um, to Dumiso Dabengwa, the, the head of ZAPU, mm -hmm. because that will, um, that will bring in token Debele representation. I wouldn't be surprised if he brings on board Joyce Muju. Um, uh, so I do think he's going to uh, construct something of a... Um, a, a transitional arrangement but I think, uh, to be honest, I think it's going to be something of a fake arrangement because behind the scenes it's going to be Nangagwa and it's going to be the military controlling that and the opposition is, is incredibly fragmented and, and, and divided and weak, much weaker than it was before. Do you see there being any opportunity for, uni uh, you know, for these opposition parties to now unite? Uh, I think in some ways this may this may uh, increase divisions because there will be a, a stampede for positions and um, for relevance. And I think uh, 
Sadly, I think opposition leaders will be falling over themselves to join a transitional arrangement. Okay, so Stephen, while they may be just playing a role, um, you know, in what would be a transitional government, the uh, the focus will be then on free and fair elections being held relatively soon. How do you s how soon do you see that actually coming to? So the fore? constitutionally, Zimbabwe is due to have an election by the middle of the year. Yeah. Um, there's another very important meeting that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's uh, the ZANU-PF Congress in December where some of this may play out, uh, that may be the next vista or, or, or scene setter uh, where, where some of this plays out. Look, the, there's been complaints and, and uh, more than complaints, uh, undermining of elections for 20 years in, in Zimbabwe. So the opposition again is going to call for reform of the election, electoral commission and the boundaries and the voters role, all the sorts of areas where there has been reputed cheating or uh, um, skullduggery in, in previous elections. I mean, we've also had elections that have been held under conditions of violence and threats of violence and, and so on. There's, there's a long history and, and uh, court cases that have not been resolved because the next election comes yeah. around. So I think there will be some pressure uh, for reform. W whether that will actually play out uh, is... is We'll have to wait and see. Of course, we've had Morgan Sangirai calling on the AU and SADC to be directly involved when it comes to the electoral roadmap uh, that will lead to this uh, free and fair election process after the transitional period. Uh, Diana, what role do you see the body playing in this regard now? Well, I think w what he's, he's saying is, you know, he's been at the, at the, at the sharp edge of, of uh, rigged elections and, and the preferences the AU and SADC seemingly have showed for President Mugabe's uh, uh, wins. So I think that he would be saying we need somebody else to keep this on track and, you know, looking at the available players, because what you don't want is a repeat of the Mugabe scenario uh, uh, previously, which Munangagwa was very much party to. And uh, so they obviously want somebody in a credible uh, or, or hopefully credible in that respect. I think they want them to be keep kept out until an agreement is reached. But after that, they do have a role to play in making sure this is done properly. Yeah. I know that the phrase that's been used is business as usual, but things are surely far from that right now. What impact do you see this having on the economy? How do you see the economy digesting all of this? Well, it depends how long it goes on for. You know, I think uh, at the moment, you know, companies are incredibly resilient. They've seen so much. They are managing an incredibly difficult and dysfunctional economy right now. So for them, it's a case of, um, you know, another day, another problem. Um, I at some level, but I think there are worries about how long this will go on and how long um, and, and how it will eventually end because at, at, you know the confidence is already very low in Zimbabwe. What mm. you want is, is, is some kind of uptick in confidence and money coming in to address the current problems. So uh, the outcomes are very important. And where Mugabe will land at the end of the day, uh, any speculation around that at this stage? Uh, I would expect that uh, physically he will stay in, Zim in Zimbabwe um, unless he uh, holds on so long that uh, the military turned decisively against him. So I think, I think the most likely scenario at the moment is uh, that he'll be retired quietly uh, in Zim, in Zim, and told to go and write his memoirs. But um, uh, I think there is a risk because he is uh, stubborn and proud, and uh, probably feels like he has some support from Sadik that he will dig his heels in and that the military will lose patience. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a, a very real risk that uh, the military will allow space for popular protests against Mugabe and Grace Mugabe's uh, G40 faction. And there's already talk of, of a march on State House tomorrow. If the military stand back in that sort of scenario, you could well have 
pretty significant violence and uh, um, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that you could have a ransacking of state house and, uh, and things like that happening. Yeah. What this has done, Stephen, is sent warnings throughout Africa uh, you know, to leaders who have clung onto power for decades from Equatorial Guinea to Cameroon, Eritrea, Uganda as well. Do you see the action foreshadowing a potential end to more than just one political career? You know, it all depends on your time frame because we've seen uh, Kompaore go in West Africa, we've seen you know, Mubarak go in North Africa, Ben Ali in, in, uh, in Tunisia, Mubarak in Egypt, of course. Yeah. Um, but these things take some time to, to play out. But certainly, uh, I think you're seeing that some, at some point it gets too much for the, for the local political situation. So whether that's people power uh, or, or the military that might step in, uh, and, and there are rules against that within our, within our institutions like the African Union, but uh, so at some point people do really reach that breaking point and, and uh, a, a lid that's been kept on a boiling pot it does explode. Absolutely. Well, we watch as things unfold. Thank you all for having joined me in studio this evening. Of course, our panelists this afternoon, Diana Gaines from Africa at Work, independent historian Stuart Doran and Stephen Grust from the SA Institute of International Affairs as well. And that's where I leave things with you for this week. But you can catch us at the same time, same place next week from me, Alicia Seckham and the rest of the team. Have a very good evening.